If you'll join me, today's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 2. If you'd like to follow along in our red Bibles in the pews, we will read from page 1002, and this is Hebrews 2, 10 through 13. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hey, I'm glad we all made it here this morning. That's a good first step, right? We made it here this morning. Um, it's good to see you. Uh, this morning we're continuing our series in um, the book of Hebrews. So we went from one intense book at the end of Daniel to another very intense, dense, hard to understand at times, but beautiful uh, book in Hebrews. Um, last week, Pastor Albert started in chapter one, and this morning we'll look at chapter two. Um, and I want to point out, that if, do a few of you have these from last week or grabbed one this morning? Um, but we have some cards here, and on one side it says, who do you think Jesus is? On the other side it says, who does the author of Hebrews say that Jesus is? Um, this book of Hebrews um, is rich in Christology, in talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished. And even um, in the 18 verses this morning in chapter 2, um, of looking at many different ways that Jesus is true and is beautiful and is amazing um, as a brother, as a high priest, as God, as the exalted one in all these different ways. So um, I really would encourage you to even think about writing down these different um, realities about uh, Jesus who we love and we worship. Um, this morning before we get into it, would you pray with me again? I want to pray um, that God would, would speak to us, that God would enlighten us uh, this morning. God, as we pause to look at this ancient scripture and as we pause to wrestle um, with Jesus and, and to worship Jesus and to learn about Jesus, God, would you please speak um, through these humble notes that I have, God, but would your Holy Spirit speak to us this morning? Um, would your Holy Spirit open our eyes to you? Would your Holy Spirit open our ears to you, um, God, and would you just use this time for your glory and your honor, God? Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So before we go to chapter 2, I actually want to go back to chapter 1. Um, Hebrews 1, 1 says this. This is how Hebrews starts. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the very exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his, power, by his powerful word. Now, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. We don't know exactly when it was written, but we do know that the author is going to great pains and great lengths to write a massive argument, essentially, in Hebrews to explain who Jesus is to an audience that is coming from the Hebrew worship system 
to an audience that is coming from the sacrificial Old Testament system. So the author is going to great lengths to explain, okay, here's this system and this way that we've been worshiping, and I want to explain to you how Jesus fits into all this and how Jesus even completes this old system that we've been going through for so very long. And so the author uses these, these dramatic arguments and quoting Old Testament um, and these beautiful phrases to explain how beautiful and wonderful this Jesus is and how he completes everything. And I want you to think about this phrase that says, he is the exact imprint of God's very being. This is from 1.1. He is the exact imprint, speaking of Jesus, of God's very being. So all the majesty of God, all the glory of God, all the beauty of God, all the perfection of God, all of that goes into Jesus who walked the earth as a human. All of it in Jesus. So I want you to hold on to that chapter 1 verse 1 and now let's look at chapter 2 verse 1. Hebrews 2 1. Therefore, we must pay greater attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. So the author starts this second chapter with one of the most clear warnings in all of Hebrews. And there are many warnings throughout Hebrews, warnings of drifting. This is one of the most clear points where the author says, therefore we must pay greater attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away from it. Um, I want to pick up on an illustration that Pastor Albert actually used last week because it caught my attention for a lot of reasons. And Pastor Albert was talking about this idea of drifting and the idea in this context probably refers to water. Um, the idea of water is something that in that time frame and in that general area, people were familiar with water and boats and drifting. And there's this warning here of not to drift away, that we have to pay attention or we might drift. And I want to camp out on this first verse for a little while and then go through the rest of the chapter. And Pastor Albert had this illustration of being out in the ocean in the water. Have you ever gone out just a little bit into the ocean, just enough where you can swim or bob, or float, maybe when you were a child, maybe last week, whenever it was, and you go out just a little bit into the ocean, and if you just lay there for a little while, you begin to drift one way or another. And it's usually a very subtle, gentle drift, right? You're, you're just kind of out there, you're enjoying it, you're looking up, and if you don't pay attention, you just, you just naturally drift in the water, either one direction or the other direction. And then you're drifting, you don't even realize it, but then you've drifted a little ways off to the side. And if you don't have a way to get back, you're, you just start drifting from side to side. Now, um, I love surfing. Anybody else love surfing? I love surfing. I am also horrible at surfing, which is hard for me as someone who likes to be good at things. That I love surfing. I grew up by the beach. I worked at a surf shop. I can, I can know what wetsuit you should wear, and I can tell you how to surf, and I can rent you a board that you should use but I'm horrible at surfing. But there's a place in Capitola I go to to surf called The Hook, and it's, it's a great wave oftentimes, and there's one area where the good surfers go. Sometimes I'll go there if it's really small. Usually I'm too scared to go there because I'm going to get in somebody's way and they're going to get angry at me because I'm horrible at surfing. But then to the side of The Hook, there's another spot, um, and there's a, usually a smaller wave and not as many people and it's kind of like a, a beginner wave, so to speak. It's where they have lessons for kids sometimes. And so I like to go out there. Um, and usually I'll go out there, maybe in the evening's coming. And there's just enough of a wave to surf on, but there's hardly anybody there because it's really not worth it. But that, like, that's my kind of spot. Like, nobody there. No one's going to laugh at me. 
I can just surf this tiny wave. But when you go out there, and you got to go out a little ways to this wave, I've been out there many, over the years, many, many times, and when I get out there, it never fails. I get out there, and then the other two people who are there kind of leave or drift off, and I have this moment of like, where, I don't even know if I'm at the spot where the wave is anymore. Because I'm not really good in the water, like I'm not great at this, and I, I have this moment where I'm like, is, it, is the wave breaking over here or over here? And I, I don't know. And I've developed this thing of there's a beautiful green house on the cliffs in Capitola. And I mean, it's just like a beautiful, like the house you would just really want to live in, right? It's like on the cliffs, beautiful big windows. And I have this thing of looking for that house, the same green house. And, when I, and I know the house, years and years of looking at this house, and I see the house. And I'm like, oh, that's where I want to be, right? And so I like, I swim back over on my board, and then I waste another half hour not catching a wave, right? But it's beautiful to be in the water. But I, I've found that there's this, if I pay attention, there's this one house, and I know through the years I can get back to that house, and I know then I'm lined up, and then I know, I generally know where I am, and then I, I know I'm okay. But I have to really pay attention, because honestly, if I don't pay attention, I'm just, I'm just wandering aimlessly in the water, not catching any waves, and just looking like a silly grown man who can't surf. But if I pay attention, I can go back to that spot. And this verse says to pay greater attention. It doesn't even say just pay attention. It says pay greater attention or we are going to drift away. We're going to drift away. You and I, we could just drift away. And so I want to point out the fact that Jesus deserves our full attention, greater attention. This Jesus, who the author of Hebrews goes through in just in incredible ways to explain how wonderful and beautiful this Jesus is. This Jesus deserves our attention. But the thing is, in our world, everything wants our attention, right? Everything is vying for our attention, our greater attention. There are more podcasts and there are more books and there are more websites, and there are more things to do, and there are more restaurants to try. I mean, there are so many things that want our attention, that want our full attention. This last week, I spent way too much time thinking about NBA free agency. Okay, because who, who's going to sign where? This is, and I, so I like, it had my full attention. When I had a moment, I would go on my phone and click on the basketball websites to find out who signed. Like, it had my my focus, right? It had my attention. And this verse says we, we have to give our greater full attention to Jesus or we can so easily just drift away and be distracted and be confused. But there's always this point which we can return to Jesus, right? There's always a point that we can be distracted by this world and we can drift, but we can always return our gaze and our focus and our attention back to this beautiful, wonderful, perfect Jesus, it's like a, a North Star. It's this point we can go back to and say, I'm going to focus on Jesus. And this is where I, I do love, in some ways, this information age that we're in. Because if we get a little distracted and a little confused, we have the words of Jesus right here. And it's so easy to just take that for granted, right? It's so easy to just, just forget that and not think about it. But if we're supposed to pay greater attention to Jesus and focus. Man, we can, we can open this up, or for a lot of us, we can get our phones out and go to BibleGateway.com or whatever it is, and we can look at the Sermon on the Mount, right? We can actually read it, 
and say, oh, here's this Jesus. All the fullness of God was in this Jesus, and here's what Jesus did and said, and we can very easily go back and pay attention to it and find some guidance for our life when we're drifting. When we're confused and we don't really know what to do and life is getting strange and we're trying to figure out, we can go and look at this, these values and this way of life Jesus taught and we can remind ourselves of Jesus. When we look at the big controversies of our day, the big arguments, the big dilemmas of our day, the things that keep us up at night, the things that are on the news and we struggle with what to do with it, we can look back at the words of Jesus, amen? These words of Jesus and say, okay, let's, let's look at what Jesus taught again. Let's look at it again. And then I can look at all that's happening in the world and decide and, and reflect and say, what would Jesus do in this situation? Now, those, there used to be WWJD bracelets, which I, I mocked in my, in my younger years. I enjoyed mocking things like that in my younger years. But there was something beautiful to this very simple idea of saying, okay, what would Jesus do in this scenario? How would Jesus see what's happening around us? And letting that ground us, give us a focus for our whole life. Now let's read one through four together and move on past this warning in verse one a little bit. Hebrews two, one through four. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So this first section makes it clear we are in danger of drifting, all of us. We could drift away, and it makes it clear that we desperately need salvation. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And it's a rhetorical question. It's saying, if we neglect our salvation, we don't have any other hope. If we drift away and if we fade and if we neglect this Jesus, we don't have a plan B of how to get through life. This is the way we escape. This is the way we face the world is with Jesus. And there's this warning about paying attention and then a warning about neglect. Do we neglect this good news? Do we neglect this Jesus who gives us life? Now I want to go ahead and move on to verses 5 through 18. The biggest chunk and I want to say, I'm not going to go verse by verse like we, we try to do at Regen, because if I went verse by verse, we would be here for 10 hours. Like, everyone's like, okay, I thought I would get like a little something from that. Okay, you're like, you're like sure, I'll be here 10 hours, okay. Um, but instead, I'm going to try to look at a couple of themes that come out from these verses, because there are these themes that come out in these verses um, over and over again, and that also in the rest of Hebrews. So I'm going to look at three themes from the rest of chapter 2. One of them is Jesus as our brother. Jesus as our, our brother. Um, the second one is Jesus who suffers. And the third one is Jesus exalted. So Jesus as brother, Jesus suffers, and Jesus exalted. And actually, these themes 
um, are really interwoven in the text. Even in trying to write a sermon, I was trying to separate them out with verses that just talk about brother or just suffering or just exalted or just high priest. But they're all like interwoven in all these verses. These themes like coming together over and over again in different ways, um, bringing them together. But I want to first look at this idea of Jesus as our brother. This idea of Jesus as brother is repeated um, over and over again in these verses. Jesus as a person in our family. Jesus as our sibling. And, and I actually became deeply encouraged by this the more I studied it. The idea of Jesus having a solidarity with us. Jesus, our, our brother. Jesus, who I chose to identify with us and have a solidarity with us as our brother. Um, and in verses 6 through 8, there's a quote from Psalm chapter 8, reminding us that Jesus became human, and in doing so, for a little while, became a little lower than the angels, just like us humans. Um, we call this idea the incarnation, God becoming human. And I want to read John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then I want to go to Hebrews chapter 2, 17. It says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So because Jesus was human, he was able to become this perfect high priest. And there was this, this high priest system in the Old Testament that the high priest would go and make a sacrifice for the sins of the people so the people could be made pure and be forgiven. And Jesus, as a human, can be this ultimate high priest because he was 100% human and with us. And I want to really point out that Jesus didn't live a fake version of being a human. He didn't, he didn't fake being a human. He didn't kind of become human. But Jesus became fully human which is why he can be called our brother. He entered humanity and all the struggle of humanity that you and I go through. I mean, Jesus dealt with having an imperfect body that got hungry, right? That got tired and was tempted as he got tired and hungry, right? As we are. Jesus was doubted by his family, as many of us have been doubted by our families. Jesus had what we would call haters, right? Lots of haters. Lots and lots of haters calling him out. Jesus was betrayed by close friends, like many of us have been. Jesus was falsely accused, like some of us have been. Jesus faced injustice and fought against it. I mean, Jesus entered all of humanity, and he went through it, and he faced it. All the uncomfortable parts and the painful parts and the disturbing parts of being a human. So this Jesus can relate to us as a brother who knows what we are going through. The solidarity with us humans. And Jesus suffered for us. Jesus suffered as we have suffered and suffered in ways that we even cannot imagine Jesus suffered. So that's the second point I want to look at. And this point, again, is woven throughout these verses here in 5 through 18, this Jesus who suffers. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. But we see him for who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, 
crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So according to this chapter, suffering was not a side note in the story of Jesus, who Jesus was. Suffering was not just this kind of minor thing that happened as a part of what Jesus did, but suffering is actually central to what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And it says it's because of suffering that Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. It's because of suffering that Jesus was made perfect. Now that made perfect because of suffering was confusing to me, um, and it doesn't, it's not trying to say that Jesus was flawed or sinful earlier, then once he suffered, he was made perfect. But it's actually saying that his suffering completed it all. His suffering made it whole. It completed um, the process perfectly. Jesus' suffering for humanity. Jesus' suffering to defeat death. This Jesus who suffers can identify with our suffering and the suffering in the world. Right? Think about all the suffering in the world that exists. Jesus can identify with that. Jesus has suffered as a human being. So we serve a high priest and a God who can sympathize with us and understand what we are going through, who cares about the suffering and the pain in the world. And this third theme is Jesus exalted. Jesus exalted. Verse 7 and verse 9 use the same phrase that Jesus was crowned with glory and honor. Verse 8 says that everything was put in subjection to Jesus. Jesus is over all things. Now this point, I love reading this, but this point honestly can be hard for some of us to get our, our brains around because if Jesus is in charge of everything and has all the glory and all the power and everything is subjected to Jesus, then why is our world the way it is, right? Can I get an amen? That's, that's something we have to wrestle with and not just go through, go, oh yeah, this is beautiful, and not acknowledge that if we're honest, this can be hard to really understand and hard to believe sometimes. There's this theological idea, I like the phrase, the now and not yet of the reign of Jesus. That Jesus has defeated evil, but we are still waiting for a final defeat. That Jesus is the king, but he hasn't consummated it completely yet. That there will be a future time when there is a complete and full reign of Jesus, and we are in this in the middle time. But in the middle of that time, Jesus has been crowned with glory and honor. Jesus has suffered for us, has defeated death for us, and is worthy of our worship, and is worthy of our full and greater attention to Jesus. Now, as we begin to wind down the message this morning, I want to look at uh, verse 18, the final verse. It says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I think this is one of the most encouraging verses um, in Hebrews, for me at least. Jesus suffered when he was tempted. Jesus was tempted to avoid suffering. Jesus was tempted to say, I don't want to go through this. He was tempted to say, this is too much. So as we are tempted, Jesus is uniquely suited to empathize with us, to understand what we're going through, 
to sympathize with us. And this verse says, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And you and I are tempted all the time, right? Right? You and I are tempted on a very regular basis. We are tempted to drift away. We are tempted to walk away. We are tempted to not pay attention. We are tempted to sin. But this says Jesus is uniquely suited to help us when we're tempted to drift away. When we feel betrayed and we want to lash out at everyone in anger, we want to tear it all down, Jesus is uniquely suited to understand us and to help us as we are tempted. When the road seems way too hard and we just want to give in to something, Jesus is uniquely suited to help us with our temptation. When we're going through something and we don't want to go through it anymore, even though we know we need to, and we just want to be done with it because it's too hard, Jesus is uniquely suited to walk with us and to help us as we are tempted. I want to reiterate this in Hebrews 4, chapter 14. Since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Let us draw near to this Jesus. Let us pay attention to this Jesus so that we don't drift. So as we are about to close, I want to point out this idea of paying attention to Jesus. Here's the thing. It, it's one thing to pay attention to Jesus sitting in a church pew, right? I mean, it's even hard for some of us during church to pay attention, let's be honest. And Regen is a pretty good paying attention crowd. I've preached a lot of places. Regen is pretty good at paying attention. Not too many of you are flipping through phones and stuff while I'm preaching. We're, we're pretty good at paying attention, okay? But the, the trick is, how do we pay attention Monday through Saturday, amen? Like, how do we pay attention tonight and tomorrow morning, right, and tomorrow at noon? Like, how do we pay attention? So I want to encourage us as we, as we enter a time of, of worship um, in just a moment, I want to encourage us to wrestle with what are the rhythms we can have in our lives to help us pay attention to Jesus? What, what are the rhythms of prayer, the rhythms of scripture reading, the rhythms of being in community with friends who are following Jesus? What are the rhythms we have in our life to help us pay attention to Jesus, the one who empathizes with us, the one who has suffered with us, the one who has paid for everything? How do we pay attention and how do I have things in my life that help me pay attention to this Jesus? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to, the worship team would come forward in a moment. Dear God, help us to pay attention to you. God, throughout our days, give us a glimpse of how beautiful and wonderful and true and loving and good you are. You are our brother. You are our Lord. You are our high priest. God, give us a glimpse of you in your glory, a glimpse of you crowned with glory and honor so that we would keep looking back at you throughout our days, so that our eyes would be drawn to you and our mind would be refocused on you as we wrestle with all the things we go through every day. God, keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.